0: Ombre Thomas is the CEO of the One Umbrella. Three plus Black-owned companies under One Umbrella. You may have heard of his renowned brand, Black Dollars Matter. Every aspect of the One Umbrella is much deeper than what meets the eye. Just listen, absorb, and learn.
1: Black Dollars Matters. it's a movement I, I, I kind of created because I realized that with the younger generation to follow something, it needed to be cool, Um, and it need to be stylish you know you can have the greatest thing that you're standing on. But for the young people, if there's no way for them to be like, yo, that's hard. Let me put that on. Let me buy that. Let me post that. Then you're going to lose a lot of the interest that you would get just trying to just do it. So that's where the hats came from. That and I don't know if you listen to Troy Ave. Troy Ave is like, he's a uh, New York um, independent rapper. But he was like a real street guy. And he created these hats. They said something about like, you know, the streets or whatever. He had his own little slogan. And the song he was saying made 60,000 off hats what's that facts I was like 60,000 off hats like what kind of hats is he selling and so it made me then go and like look it up and it was a regular like spin on Make America Great Again basic hat the price wasn't that crazy so I was like oh he must have sold a ton of these and I was like I could probably do that then I thought about it like Well, if I do it, I can use that money to fund a lot of the community initiatives and things like that that I want to do, which is why I decided not to keep any of the funding from Black Dollars Matters. So right now, um, I have a print shop in the inner city of Cleveland that we're in the process of remodeling. The hat money pays for the shop, for the utilities there, stuff like that. I also have mentees and, and young people that'll come work for me that I will pay what a lot of people would feel is a ridiculous amount Mm -hmm. in order to do things for me, but I use it as a tool of teaching, like, a self-worth to these people. So, like, one of my young guys, he'll come work for me doing whatever type of manual labor I need done at the time, and I'll pay him $100 an hour. And the first time he didn't understand, I had to explain to him, I was like, you know, when you do the math on what that actually breaks down to be and if it were a tax job, it's not that crazy. You know, you're talking low six figures, honestly. And so I try to help these people, you know, especially the the young men out of the inner city, understand that your time is worth so much more. If you grew up in an environment like I did in the ghetto where drugs and violence and all that, you have to start to think different. So I was like, what do you make if you go out and you sell drugs? You know, if you're selling a dime bag, what is your profit on that? three dollars four dollars if you don't have the craziest clientele whether you you may sell one or two or three of those an hour that's minimum wage basically what if i put you in a position to do some work where you make what you're worth but you don't have to look over your shoulder you don't have to worry about the police bothering you you don't have to worry about any of those types of things and so with this and some of my other businesses that i own i kind of treat everything like that because that's what i know that's what i grew up in but i i just changed the product you know, instead of selling something illegal, I sell something legal with the same mindset, with the same hustle and the same drive. And then I don't gotta worry about looking around or worrying about when somebody coming to get me. I mean, if you, if you wanna come get me for some hats, by all means, you know, I, I've been doing this business stuff for so long now, my profit margin's so good, I'm gonna give them to you. It's not even worth the headache. You know, I guess that's kinda where it came from and why I don't keep the money and why I treat it the way I treat it.
0: Wow. So. Yeah. I never knew that. I don't think a lot of people knew that. Yeah, most people don't. So it's great that you just expressed that to us. I always thought that it was like, I hat brand, but this is just what you use Yeah, no. Invest. You
1: know, it's funny. So many people say brand. Yeah. And what they don't realize is to me, like I own the trademark to Black Dollars Matters, but my actual company that I consider to be a brand actually owns that trademark. Mm. So this is just like, an item within something larger. I mean, and and the whole thing with with a brand too, as far as like a clothing brand, like that's never really been what I was trying to do. You know, for me is how how can I build something that's profitable that I can help other people? Like for the summer, we did an internship program. We had 10 interns across the United States. They sold hats on commission. So not only do they get to make, commission and have a job for the summer and it's self-paced you can make as much money as you're willing to go out there and sell but what they send back goes right back into the initiative of paying for the space which once the remodel is finished will be a safe space for entrepreneurs and young people to come in nobody's going to poach your ideas nobody's going to try to steal anything from you it's safe you can come in here you can pitch your ideas you can look for funding Uh, By trade, I'm actually a financial advisor. And so I have a very large network of people who are willing and able to fund ideas that I I deem, you know, necessary or feasible for their portfolios. And so with the internship thing and and all, just stuff like that, really the Black Dollars Matters movement, it's a tool for me, you know. And I think one of the things that I want to make sure I, I say is so many people don't even actually know what I mean as the creator by Black Dollars Matters. You know, so many people think it's like the whole support local black business narrative, and That's cool, you should, but at the, at the end of the day, that's not my interest. When I talk about Black Dollars mattering, I talk about how we spend $3 billion a year on alcohol, over $3 billion. There's no real major ownership by the African American community in that market. We spend, I wanna say around $3 billion a year on tobacco. There's almost no black ownership in that marketplace. It was something crazy. Like, I have all the statistics, but off the top of my head, I can't remember, but it was something crazy, like $20, 20 billion a year on retail, very little. Like, and when I say ownership, I'm not talking about people who are getting a check for working for, you know, I'm not talking Virgil Abloh. He's not an owner. I'm talking LVMH, who is the owner. There is no real high-level black owners. And then when you start to look at more practical things, when you wake up in the morning, you know, and I challenge everybody to do this exercise at least once, for the first two hours of your day, write down everything that you touch, use, interact with on a regular basis that ultimately is a black-owned. Most of it won't be. I'm talking from the bed that you woke up in to the toothpaste you brush your teeth with to the car that you drove to the gas that you put in it at the gas station. Literally, from your basic life necessities for a working, you know, American, pretty much nothing you touch or come in contact with at a high level is going to be black-owned. And so that's what I'm pushing, and that's kind of like the narrative that I'm on. that's why, you know, I recently started a real estate development group for young black people because we don't even have a lot of home ownership. Now, our percentages are rising because our percentages of successful black households are rising, but they're not rising in a way that they should. You're talking about we spend over a trillion dollars a year as a people, and we don't have our own cars. We don't have our own major fashion lines. All the things, we don't have our own tobacco. I mean, we drink liquor that we say is black-owned, but the reality is, Siroc is partially owned by Diddy. There's white partners. The only one that I think that's fully, fully owned is um, the majority of Ace of Spades. And I think there's a partner in that, too, and that's Jay-Z. But I think he has a partner that's not African-American either. It's just, for me, knowing that you can work so hard, whether it be for someone or for yourself, and you're still going to live in a world where nothing came from your people in reality. You can say it did. I mean, even... I challenge people, you can go and buy a product. Like, for example, if someone has a company that sells some type of retail item, I guarantee you they buy a already finished item from a non-black owned company and then they just slap what's theirs on it. The Black Dollars Matter hats, I own everything. We buy them and they're made from scratch at my manufacturer. So there is no white company that's middlemaning me and selling me blank hats and then I get them embroidered no we buy all these hats directly from my manufacturer and they make them from scratch embroider them the whole nine. and so for me it's important for people to understand that this is something that's actually black owned this is not the fake you know and I support those things too like when I do like Mike I have a, a garment printing company and we sell customs and we print for other other businesses and stuff like that. But the reality is those shirts and those blanks and those hoodies and all that stuff I'm buying from, whether it be Gildin or Bella or Haynes or whoever, is still not black-owned. I own the printing company, but the products that we're producing have a white partnership simply because I buy the blanks from a white company. Mm. And so for me, it's about making enough money, and that's why I'm involved in so many different businesses and things like that, so that I can make enough money to start and acquiring everything. Like My goal is to have everything in-house. When you buy a Black Dollars Matters hat, it gets shipped to you not in a USPS box, but in the One Umbrella box, which is the company that I own. Those boxes we got directly from a manufacturer. There's no middleman. And so... For me, it's just about creating something where everything is integrated into one overall company, which is why my company is called The One Umbrella. It's like everything is under one umbrella. You can come here and you can get the whole thing done because you may not think about it often, but there are people who do and there are young people who are looking. There are young, when I go and speak in the community and in the the inner city schools, there are young guys who are like, wait, you do what? Never even thought about something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, your jump shot ain't that good. Maybe you should start. You know what I'm saying? Because that's the reality. I mean, one of the biggest things, I was in a school, this was maybe two years ago now, and I do an eight-week mentorship program at a school, and we do this project, and they give me a mixed group of kids. So it's usually like, a Asian kid, and you know, like two white kids and a couple black kids. They, they try to make it a mixed group. But outside of being racially mixed, it's usually a kid who's achieving at a very high level and very smart. And then there's usually also, like, the behavioral problem kid who's not doing that great. And so in this particular group, and you hate for it to be so statistically accurate, but it was a little black boy who was the boy who was acting out and not doing as well. So I was going to get some papers off the printer and we were talking, he he was like bad where he had to come with me. So we're talking as we walk and I'm like, you know, what do you wanna be? And he says, "Um, I wanna play basketball. Now if you're that good, by all means, go make the millions and chase your dream, but you're in fourth grade right now. We don't know if that's what it's gonna be. You got a lot of years between now and then to blow a knee out, get get an injury, or just realize you don't love it anymore. So I asked him, is it basketball or is it something else that you love? He says, well, I love the clothes and the jewelry and the cars that being a pro athlete will get you. And this blew my mind. I said, well, I dress, you know, pretty nice, and I have jewelry. I'm into jewelry. And uh, I got a, at that time, I had a way nicer car even than I have now, but I always was into cars. And so he said... Yeah, I know. I was actually going to ask you when we finished our eight weeks what sport you play. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, I mean exactly what you said. You have all the things that I like. So I was going to ask you, you know, where did they find you? Like, what sport do you play? Which team are you on? And I was like, I don't play any sports. <laughs> like, if we went on a basketball right now, you probably would beat me at, you know, 10 years old or whatever you are. And... He was like mind blown. Like, well, how do you have those things? And then it took me to a place of like, wow, I really do have to spread this message more and more and more and more because you have people who think like that. He sees me and he's like, this is a ball. This is a ball player, and I'm like, Dude, I'm the furthest thing from it, you know. He
0: doesn't know any
1: better. He doesn't. I mean, in his mind, he was he was probably genuinely waiting on the eight weeks to end mm-hmm. and the project to be over. And he was going to, because they all write, like, thank you letters to the mentors and stuff. And I'm sure he was going to put in his little email, like, hey, by the way, which team are you on? And I was glad that I was able to explain that to him in person in a way that he can understand and show him. But that's the, re- that's the reality of the world we live in, you know. When you grow up in the inner city, you only see a few different types of black people. Mm-hmm. You see the addicts. You see the people serving the addicts, so you choose that lifestyle, or you see the athlete, or if you watch TV, you see you know maybe the celebrity actor or something like that, but you don't really see the guy who made $9 million last year in real estate. You don't see the guy who owns seven restaurants and made $4 million last year in profits from his restaurant. You don't see these people, and a lot of them, I, I do fault them a lot of them are scared of the spotlight because they're scared of what it will do to their business, but the reality is if more of them step forward, then more of our young people would see that that lifestyle is possible without a ball or a microphone you know, or or a script even. And, And I don't knock those things, but they're not realistic for everybody. And there are other things that would be a lot more realistic for a lot more people if they knew about them.
0: So everything that you do is strategic.
1: Yeah. I like that. I'm not being on on wasting time or energy or anything.
0: From the hats, you use that profit to invest in bigger things, your businesses, your other businesses. They're for a greater purpose.
1: Well, some of my other businesses are funded directly out of my own pockets Mm. because they are for profit to me because I do understand that in order to make a certain difference, you yourself have to be in a certain place. So some of them are completely unrelated to this, but I do take the profits and invest them into larger things and larger projects. And I try to bring the people who, like, for example, I gave all of the interns the opportunity to follow me into the next projects. And so if you've interned for me, you have the opportunity to come and learn some of the other businesses that I want to become involved in. Um, we're actually working on, I don't even know if I'm supposed to say it, but since I own it, I don't care. But we're working on a, um, a Black Dollars Matters app, which is a financial literacy game that will drop on iOS and Android. And so once we work all of the kinks out in the design of the programs and everything, and fun fact to throw that out there, it is a black coder that's building it Yeah. um, who was topping his coding class at uh, Case Western. Black one thing. Yeah, everything with me is, is it black? Oh, it's (laughs) not? Oh. Well, we can put that down on the lower on the list of priorities. Let's handle the black stuff first. Everybody else looks out for their own people. I think it's time that we start to do the same, however it looks. Some people will fault to us. Well, why is it that, you know, it's black? Why not? I'm black. And, and I face a lot of ridicule. Like, being a financial advisor, I actually left my last firm that I was at for three and a half years because of that. It was a, a top firm, one of the top firms, in the country but they basically gave me an ultimatum of stop promoting and marketing all of your other businesses which all happened to involve my very black things or leave at the time I was a top ranked advisor in their system and so I guess they thought that well he's not going to leave our name and brand it wouldn't make sense but they didn't understand that like I'm not cut that way Mm -hmm. you know and I'm young enough to bounce back so I left and I actually ended up based on my past history and everything I had accomplished I ended up getting a bunch of offers to the point where I didn't even have to interview anywhere else I just chose where I wanted to go and continued advising so Mm -hmm. I say that to say like don't ever let somebody like put you in that corner of like you stay on this white side which is the right side or Mm -hmm. you're done because the reality is I'm so much bigger now after leaving than I probably ever would have got being there with what they were trying to do to me.
0: I don't need you, you need me.
1: That's the reality of it, I mean. There's like I think in that in this industry, it's like a ridiculously small percentage of advisors are black. I mean like less than 10%, like far less than 10%. Mm-hmm. And so to like and I know a lot of my clients who all happened to leave that firm when I left and followed me, I had some of them literally say, I'm not standing there, they don't have any other black people to offer me. Mm. And so the reality is, okay, so all these people leave with me, all the money leaves out of your company, which, I mean, you're talking multi-billion dollar company, they probably didn't care immediately, but when you start to think and look at the ongoing Uh, results to decisions you make you know I have some clients who are you know multi-million dollar clients and I had other advisors calling me like hey how are you taking them well because they're mine well I helped work on that case okay they're my client they're leaving Mm -hmm. they'll call you and tell you that you don't have to call me Mm -hmm. and so I think a lot of times we're scared of the power of our blackness and and we're scared to like use that as our bargaining chip and I'm trying to completely reinvent that like no I'm gonna do this because I'm black I'm not gonna not do this because I'm black you know what I'm saying Like, you have so many people who are fearful of oh well because I'm black I need to act a certain way or because I'm black I gotta make sure that you know like in these industries there's so many things that they tell you not to do don't wear facial hair I'm not cutting my beard for y'all Y'all don't pay me. I'm a contractor. I work for myself. They tell you all this when you wear your suits. They used to always say, you know, gray suit, navy suit, black suit, maybe a brown suit, white shirt, light blue shirt. I'm talking, I got, he'll tell you, I got plaid suits and neon shirt. Like, my whole thing is for us to embrace who we are as a people. and we set the trends, you can't. They can't tell me how to dress to my client base. You know what I'm saying? And then it even got to a point where I I didn't even feel the need to wear suits. When I conduct business now, you know, it's funny because I party in suits now. And I conduct business in street clothes because it's just more comfortable for me. It's about figuring out what works for you and, and doing it and not letting people limit you because of who you are.
0: So who or what fueled this mindset that you have now? This is a powerful mindset.
1: Um... Probably my father. Um, so when my when I was ten, my father was actually killed in a burglary-turned-murder. And prior to him passing away, he always had these sayings of like, you know, do what you want, not what you can, you know, things like that. And they and they stuck with me. And he was a he was a very hard worker. You know, he was your all-American grinder and hustler. You know, he he had a home rehabbing company that he built himself from the ground up, and he would actually go out, and when he would be in his truck in the morning on the way to a job site, he would see, you know, a young guy who's skipping school or one of the young boys who's causing trouble in the neighborhood, and he would make them get in the truck. And he would say, hey, I know I can't force you to go to school, but now that you're in the truck, you're going to come to work. Mm-hmm. And so he would teach them skilled labor, how to— lay floors and paint and cut wood for, you know, housing projects and do vinyl siding and all these different things. And so seeing that and seeing the differences that, that it makes, and then especially after he passed, seeing how losing that, how much of a, a detriment it was to my old neighborhood, when, when I, and I still go through my old neighborhood often. I mean, the house I grew up in is still standing But five houses to the right are all knocked down and gone. Three houses to the left are knocked down and gone. The first standing house on either side are both abandoned. And this is all because there is no figure there anymore to say, hey, instead of going in that house and tearing the pipes out and making it a drug house, come work. I'll pay you because I know that's the only reason you're doing any of these things is money. And that's another reason why I go so hard and focus so hard on my own personal entrepreneurial endeavors. People say that money can't buy you happiness and and love and all these things, but the reality is neither can poverty. And poverty will actually make it pretty hard for you to get any of those things as well. It's easier to focus on loving somebody when you're not worried about the rent being due or the lights being cut off. It's easier to focus on being happy and doing things that you enjoy when you have the freedom to do so, when you're not worried about trying to get overtime to make ends meet. And so you know, when people say that, I'm always like, I mean, you're probably just gonna be broke forever, so I don't even care what you're saying.
0: Mm. And the
1: reality is being broke forever will absolutely lead to sadness. And and I mean, when you look up the divorce rates and they do studies on the biggest reasons for those divorce rates, Mm. and one of the top reasons for a divorce our specific country is financial. There was a promise made that I was going to be something that I didn't become, or I was something that, or I, you thought I was something that I turned out not to be. It's always money. I think it's very important, and I think a lot of people who take certain paths in life or choose to do certain things, mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense to me. You know, and I, sometimes people will have problems with me when I state my opinion on those topics, but. You know, I have people that I know who have gone to school for certain majors and things like that, and I'll tell them straight up, that was a waste of your time and money. If you go into school for something where your cap is sixty grand, I can show you. You can go get a you can go get a job and make sixty grand, and not ever have to worry about a final or a paper or the debt that you owe or any of that. And so, you know, that's I guess that's where I stand on all of that.
0: Researching. do a lot of researching. Yeah. It sounds like it. You just hit me with, like, 20 statistics yeah, <laughs> that I, I did not
1: know. I, I research what's important. Yeah. I know, like, I can't remember what I was watching. And there was a guy. It may have been TV or anything. And somebody listening may know, but I have no idea. And he said, um, there's a lot of people in the world who know a bunch of nothing. Mm. And I know a lot of people like that, people who can just literally rattle you off statistics and facts and books, and but it's not profitable information and it doesn't push anybody forward. There's a ton of people who probably know a lot of random things that I don't. But the question is, do they know how to profit more than me? Do they know how to profit better than me? Because if they do, those are the people I want to meet. But if you just know, like, Every Stephen King novel or whatever, you can keep that unless you find somebody who wants to buy it. then we can talk you know, maybe I'll give me a little percentage out of that or something, mm-hmm. but for the most part it's you know it's, you have to know certain things as your basis to become someone you know if if you want to be a leader of a movement and you don't know. What the movement is backed by, or if you can't answer those questions. If I got a call right now by some news station or something, and they say, "Amber, we want to interview you about Black Dollars Matter," and if I get up there and I don't know any statistics, they don't care about my opinion. They don't. And, and the reality is, they don't care. Like, I I didn't go to college, I'm not college educated. Um, I really don't care. I'm a huge pro college advocate because I know that there are a majority of people out there who can't do it the way that I did it or who just would not want to do it with the hardship that comes with it and you know making it difficult I guess you would say but at the same time I would never let someone hold their college against me because I don't have no student loan debt you know and that's just the reality of it
0: and one thing that Doug Daly said, he was like, knowledge is only power when it's applied, so it doesn't matter where you obtain the knowledge if you're not applying it.
1: You have all these people who, you know, the the crisis right now, the past few years is, you have all these highly educated people Mm -hmm. who can't get a job, and a lot of it is, they can't get a job due to being overqualified, which means they have too much knowledge that doesn't mean anything. So if you go and get this degree you pay, you know, forty, sixty. You know, I know a girl who's out of school paying forty two thousand a year. Four years alone, you're talking about a hundred and sixty eight grand. If she don't get out of school and make six figures her first year, it wasn't worth it in my opinion. I look at people even, you know, I have a, a little cousin who I guess I could say I mentor in a way. And she wanted a degree, and I don't want to knock anybody for what they're doing, but it was like an art history degree or something like that, Mm -hmm. and if you are doing that, but you know what you can do with it, by all means, do it, but when I ask people who have these kind of degrees, well, what kind of job do you want, well, I don't know, that's just what I wanted to major in, well, you majored in wasting time, then, (laughs) at 23 years old, I would just be graduating if I were in school which means none of the things that I have accomplished would be accomplished. So for me, school would have been an anchor and, you know, and not a, a
0: launch.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: That's crazy you're saying this, you're hitting me, because <laughs> I graduate in December and I'm thinking, like, the main things that I've gained from college have been experience, not knowledge. I study that stuff, I take the test and I forget it. You know.
1: And that's, well, that's how the modern educational system is set up. Mm-hmm. Everything is set up for the test. Everything in school is set up for, I mean, even at high school now, Mm -hmm. it's all set up with a curriculum based around a standardized test. And teachers will tell you, like, I'm sorry. I can't get to that. I have to make sure you guys pass this test. But if you go deeper and you break down what they're actually saying, I have to make sure I keep my job because I need money.
0: So they look good on paper,
1: That's all it's about. It's all about money. You could love teaching, but if you're teaching their curriculum, then you're teaching for money. Mm -hmm. You're not teaching to actually teach someone. When I teach and when I mentor, it's about real-life skills. You know, I have one of my mentees who he had needed some money and he wanted to start selling hats on commission. I said, no problem. And he had the bright idea of you know, kind of bringing his own entrepreneurial process into it, and he hired a friend of his to sell him so that he could sell more faster. Mm-hmm. And I said that's an amazing idea. I congratulated him on on accomplishing it. Well, when things hit the fan, the person who he hired didn't pay the money, like sold the product and kept the money and basically ran off with it. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem was the money that was kept wasn't my mentee's money, it was my money, that was supposed to go into the program. Now, I didn't hold it against him. I told him, you can come and work it off and I'll just put the money in out of my own pocket. I really don't care, it's not that deep to me. But I told him if he wants to be a business owner and he wants to really do this, he has to understand that those things can happen and he has to protect himself against it. So you need to figure out how you're gonna go and get that money from him because even though I let you work it off and you don't owe it to me anymore, It's still owed to you. And you can't be the guy who just, oh, he just walked all over me. That's fine. Business will never work. You got to be able to make the hard decisions and make the hard phone calls and tell people what it is.
0: So what has been one of your personal, like, biggest, biggest obstacles throughout this process?
1: Being young and black. That's just the reality. I mean, everything you do, when people realize they're talking to a young black male, Mm -hmm. is something. You know, if it, with the real estate, when you're trying to get investors and people refer you and then you get in the meeting and they're like, wait a minute, this is 23 in black with a beard and a hoodie on? Whoa, I wasn't expecting this. Suddenly my checkbook is clenched much tighter than it was and suddenly I don't know how long I have to actually keep this meeting. Actually, I think I got to go now. You'll run into that. I mean, other than that. The, I would say the the biggest non like racial is age. There are a lot of requirements to do certain things that, being my age, I haven't even been around long enough to get. You know, when you when you are a business owner and self employed and things like that, for example, instead of having a pay stub to prove what you have and what you're doing. They want bank records and they want tax returns. So when you're 21 or 22, and they're like, well, we need two years tax returns. I'm like, dude, two years ago, I was at football practice in high school. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so that, just being young and trying to get all these things under my belt so that I can do amazing things at a younger age. Because a lot of my goals, although they are often tied to a financial goal, it's not for me necessarily, it's to prove to others. It's to be, oh yeah, I'm 23, I did this, you can too. I'm 25, I did this, you can too. I'm 27, I did this, you can too. You know, I've got two or three friends that were on Forbes 30 Under 30, and so the things that I'm trying to accomplish are like, this regular stuff don't mean nothing to me, you know. Anybody who knows me knows my answer to most questions is it doesn't matter. And it's frustrating to a lot of people, but to me, it doesn't matter. When people ask me, where are we going? I oh, don't. It doesn't matter. What do you want to, it doesn't matter. None of this regular stuff matters. I'm trying to make million-dollar and hopefully eventually billion-dollar things happen. You're talking to me about where we're about to go spend $4 on lunch I don't. I don't care. It just doesn't matter to me. And removing care out of my life for most of those things is one of the biggest things that's helping me move forward. I don't spend time thinking about things that just don't matter. That's one of my favorite things about meeting some of the people that i met, like Gregory Joyce, who you've had on your show. He forced me to do things I wasn't even interested in doing like the printing company so i don't like for example if you see me nine times out of ten i have on a hoodie with my company logo on it or a t-shirt i don't waste time on what am i going to wear now i don't waste time on any of that kind of stuff it's like oh i'm gonna put on these jeans and that clean hoodie with my logo on it or that clean t-shirt with my logo on it or whatever's clean that's mine. So it doesn't matter. I grab it, put it on and keep it moving. And when you start to remove, you'll be surprised how the extra five minutes here and 10 minutes there propel you to be able to do something that you didn't even know you had time for. You know, if you save five or seven minutes 15 times today. You got an extra hour, two hours at the end of the day to accomplish something else. And so
0: it doesn't matter.
1: It doesn't matter. It just it doesn't. So many people worry about so many things that just don't matter you know and I've always been really relaxed and chill about things but like it's just getting progressively worse as the years go on because my biggest thing that I live by is in any situation I can only do what I can do so you have people who will get in a financial bind and I'm no stranger to that I've been in plenty of financial binds and I'm sure I'm not done being in them but if I don't have a way to fix it why am I sitting in my house crying and screaming at the wall about how I don't have a way to fix it? I just don't have a way to fix it. Let me go and move on and do whatever else I have to do with my day and with my life. You know, if I lose something that I can't get back, I don't have a way. So it doesn't matter. It's behind me now. You know, if I drop something and spill it, it's behind me now. I can't stand there and, oh, my God, I can't believe this, or I can't believe you bumped me. I just wasted 10 more minutes talking to you about something that you're not gonna pick up and I'm not gonna pick up. It didn't matter. And so that's that's like my thing to keep a lot of the stress and, and craziness away from me. It's like half of that stuff don't matter.
0: How did that mindset come about? How did you really practice and become grounded in that? That's hard. When
1: you, for me it was very hard because it came as a result of the life I lived. So when you lose your father to murder, and the only people left in your immediate, immediate family are a grandmother on both sides, a mother, an aunt, a sister, and two female cousins from the aunt, you're the only guy. So now, whether you want to or feel that you are, you are the man of the family. And when it comes time to deal with small, minute things, they don't matter. I mean, when someone is stressing out or asks me why I'm not stressing out, why would I be stressing out about this? My father was killed in the house I grew up in, and I'm fine. I'm here today living, breathing, walking, talking, being, becoming successful, accomplishing everything that I wanted to accomplish, doing everything they said I couldn't. If that didn't break me, You think this fender bender is going to break me or this traffic ticket is going to break me or being hungry tonight or the heat being off or whatever. Once you go over a mountain, a hill is a walk in the park. And that's what most of your everyday life issues are. They're just hills. They're not mountains. You know, mountains is trying to figure out how you're about to realign an entire family. You know, mountains are realizing, okay, I am the only male which means even if I don't want kids, I have to have kids until I have a son or my family dies. These are mountains. Everyday issues, nothing.
0: A lot of experiences cause you to, like, realign your priorities. Yeah. That's
1: deep. But But my biggest thing is I try to help people understand that you don't have to live through these experiences to take something from them. Let me be the guy who took all the beating. If I'm willing to give you what it gave me and tell you, Listen, you know you have all these people who are like, "Well, I've never been through something like that, so this is a way bigger deal." Well, don't think about it like that. Think about it like, "Well, people have gone through this. Oh man, what I'm dealing with is nothing. Let me just figure it out and keep it moving." And so that's how I really, you know, got to where I am. And that's
0: the thing: we will listen, but we don't always apply. We like to, we like to get beat up and learn, like, yeah. which is sad. I mean, it's
1: like, it's like. I won't even say it's human nature because, you know, the first law of human nature is self-preservation. But so many people skip over the first law. You know, they think that they're doing what's right for themselves, but in reality they rushed over it so quickly that they don't even realize they just set themselves up for failure from the beginning. You know, I had a, a business mentor. He was the worst businessman I've ever known in my life, but he's one of my most powerful mentors I've ever had. And I say that because... I learned so much about what not to do that you know anyone who knows me closely like at a friend level will tell you I always talk about how I will not put out or be a part of a brand that has a blemish in it. I'll just not be a part of it before I let that happen because I have created blemish-free brands, you know when Jess Hilarious was attacking Black Dollar's matters on Instagram. I Went out and told people, please stop disrespecting this black woman. She's doing what she thinks right. Don't hang her for it. Let her get her opinion off, off, you know, let her do whatever it is she feels like she's accomplishing. When you live your life moral based, your decision making becomes a lot different than most people. Because I had people literally contacting me like, this is no exaggeration. Like, people literally inboxed me like, yo, I live in her city. We can go talk to her. I'm like, for what? Because she said to her black dollars don't matter. Okay, well she just doesn't understand. Let's educate her. And so then when TI got involved and TI called her mm-hmm. and he explained it to her. I'm happy. She still to this day hasn't acknowledged me by name even though she posted my hats and disrespected my company. But that's fine. I don't I'm not looking for your pub. I'm glad you got educated, and now you're not walking around spreading that venom onto others. Mm -hmm. Now you know, so you have a large following. Now you can tell people that same message. And so that's a lot of just what it is. I mean, a lot of people make these rash decisions. majority of people in jail make one decision in one heated moment over something that they thought was so much bigger than it is. Oh, my wife cheated, so I shot everybody in the room. What? And now you in a uh, uh, 8 by 10 for 50 years? You know, even me and my family, we often, when this topic comes up, we, we get into a, a, a pretty heated debate because the situation that happened with my father, it was two burglars. My father was licensed to carry, so he fired on the first one, killed him. The second one, it was a, a gun battle. He hit my father, killed him, obviously, but my father hit him in the process, and so that's how he ended up getting caught through you know, blood, leaking, all that kind of stuff. I ain't going to get too graphic. Mm-hmm. But when he went to jail, he was 19 years old when this happened. They, they gave him like 40 years. My family always talks about how when he goes up for parole, they can't wait to go out there and protest against him getting out and give their opinions on why he should stay in for longer and they always get upset when i say i won't waste my time going and it's because for one to carry that kind of hate around all day every day will ruin you and that's why most people don't get to where they want to be because they have something so heavy like that just dragging him down every day but I, I tell my family i say at, at that point you know, let's say he gets good behavior or whatever. I don't, even, I, have, I don't even care about the case enough to know the details of his sentence, I'm going to be honest. But let's just say 30 years he goes up for parole. If it happened when I was 10, that means I'll be 40. What do I look like at 40 years old, taking time out of my day of mentoring or trying to make a ton of money or hopefully loving my wife and children by the end to drive? I probably won't even live here anymore. So to come fly back to Cleveland and then drive to some correctional facility to sit in a room with a dude who don't even know who I am, he won't know who any of us are in 30, 40 years. He's going to look at us all like random faces in the room like, oh, that must be his family because of where they're sitting, and that's all he's going to know. Why would I even show up for that? If y'all want to let him out, let him out. He don't have no life. He's 60 years old. Been in jail for 40 years. He has no work history and no credit. What is he going to do? Nothing. So, people get so caught up in the feelings part of it that they start to have these unrealistic dreams and, and and for for what can happen like oh we're gonna get him another forty on top of that okay you're still not gonna see him like you don't see him now and he's still not gonna be anything like he isn't anything now. It doesn't matter whether he's in or out. So it doesn't matter. And you know when you start to be able to come with terms to terms with things like that the issues that you have become something totally different. Wow.
0: Yeah. And you creating a legacy will be the biggest reward for you. So it's just like, that's not rewarding for
1: me. And he, like, like, what I try to help you, like, literally like what I said, he doesn't even know who I am. I mean, maybe if he heard my name because I'm a junior and I have such a unique name, he may then be like, oh, that must be him. Mm-hmm. But other than that, he don't. He don't even know who's there. Who He wouldn't even know who I am sitting there speaking against him. Mm. He'd be like, oh, I've never seen this dude before. Yeah, I know, because I was 10. And so, you yeah, know, it is what it is.
0: So what has been the biggest advice that you've gained, the greatest advice that you've gained, and what is the greatest advice that you can give?
1: The greatest advice that I've been given is to... Maintain control of your situations at all costs. It took me a long time to understand it. And, And what it means is no matter what's happening, you have to spin it or play it in a way to where you can maintain control. Your failure today may be viewed as a victory tomorrow if you can maintain control of the situation. You know, you may be broke right now, and people on the outside may judge you because of that, not knowing that you're broke today because you got a million-dollar check in the mail for tomorrow. So you have to maintain control of everything. You have to make sure people see and believe only what's important to keep something going. If I'm in a failing position, I still have to make sure that to the public, it is seen and viewed as a successful position because I have to keep my status in order to keep empowering children and youth and keep the movement moving forward. So maintaining that control of all situations was, is what I would say is the biggest advice, not only that I've received, but the biggest advice that I can give.
0: So if people wanna like connect with you, collaborate with you, work for you, can you give us your social media?
1: on Instagram, I'm at underscore the umbrella underscore on Facebook I'm Ombre Thomas. If you wanna email me, I'm the one umbrella at Yahoo dot com. You know, that's pretty much it. I mean, if you reach out to me on any of those platforms, you can have my number. I'm one of those people, like, I don't have a problem with telling people no, so If you get my number and think that just because you have it, it means something, hey, I'll talk to you, but that doesn't mean it's going to go how you want. So feel free to reach out to me and connect with me. I'm always looking to speak at any events. I'm always looking to mentor. You know, I have a lot of people contact me like, my little brother is doing all the wrong things, but he he doesn't have to. He's not in the situation I have to. Can you talk to him? I'll call him. I spoke at um, a men's summit, maybe like a year and a half ago. And uh, like to this day, I got like young kids, like dudes who like saved my number on a piece of paper in their backpack and they like 11 now, text me. Hey, Andre, you may not remember me from whatever, whatever. Oh yeah, I got a minute, we can talk. You know, everybody, we live in a world of busy. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, it's a lot of deflection. You know, when I first learned, and would be, you know, training for my sales techniques and things like that. Everything is an objective to overcome. I just remove the objectives from my life. I'm not the guy who's going to be issue. I'm not the guy on the phone like, oh, I'm about to run up a flight of stairs and do a backflip, so call me back in 10 minutes. I'm like, yeah, I got a minute. Like, everybody has a minute or two. I mean, we. I hate when I see somebody tell me that they're too busy to meet with me or talk to me or something, and then, like, they post it on Instagram. Like, that took you like three minutes. I know how long it take you to delete that caption and make sure it's right. I, kn- I know these things, so I know you could have talked to me. Exactly. But your priori- just say what it is. Say, no, I don't, I don't want to. You're not in my priorities right now. Cool. I'm happy that you said that. Now I'm not trying to re-reach out to you and reschedule a meeting. I know that you're just not interested. But, yeah, feel free to get at me, Instagram, Facebook, email, whatever.
0: Thank you so much. You, like, you enlightened our listeners. You enlightened me, too. I'm over here. Like, thank you.
1: Thanks for having me. Yeah.
0: Black lives matter. Thank you for transforming your pain into passion.